chapter 9, Perektes, Sefer Yehoshua, the book of Joshua, Nachyomi for the Orthodox Union, Rabbi Bini Marilis. All the nations, these five nations, had heard essentially all that had gone on. Yericho, I, in verse 2, and they gather together as one voice, a literal terminology, but essentially as one army, one nation. They gather together, united, to fight the great evil, the great terrible nation, the nation of the Jewish people. The Radak writes, Pe'echad, v'haskama achas, achas, with one agreement, with one idea. Here you have, essentially, in the aftermath of two great victories of the Jewish people over two very important cities, you have the gathering of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And you have, essentially, here nations that have nothing to do with each other, nations that don't get along with each other, perhaps are simply just states, Kingdoms unconnected with each other that gather together with one purpose, with one idea, that being simply to get rid of the Jews and to stop the Jews from taking the land. What you get also is a very interesting strategic issue. Yoshua, in beginning his wars, is essentially, it appears, cutting across the land, east to west to cut the land in half, to slice the land of Israel in two, separating the north from the south, and then strategically picking off the points to battle for victory and the capture of the entirety of the land of Israel. To this point, they started at Gilgal, where they settle. They cut across to Yericho, then to Ai. And as they're working their way across, they're hitting into very strategic locations. Giv'on, which we're about to talk about, is in a very important, very significant area. And the other kings see this strategic point and realize what Yoshua, it appears, is attempting to do. And they go to war. They gather together. They unite. They create an alliance, an axis, literally an axis of evil, to fight against the Jewish people. Interestingly enough, that alliance will speed up, in a certain sense, the Jews capturing more armies and more nations and more land than if they would have had to fight them one at a time. So these nations gather together to fight the Jewish people, but there is one group that does not join, and that is the people of Givon. A famous story here of the Givonite treaty, the bris with Yehoshua, the covenant with Yehoshua, a fascinating story that we'll share and we'll learn together here today. People of Givon heard also what had happened in those towns, but they don't react the same way as the other nations that are mentioned in verse 
One, they have a very different reaction. They do something too. They do something as it relates to the Jewish people, but very different, very different than the other nations. The other nations gather to war, to battle, to fight, to destroy, and the Givonim simply say, there's not going to be a fight here, we're not going to defeat them, we're next on the list, our, our town is next, if you look at the map, they're next across the east-west route, essentially, and there's no way they're going to stand up to the Jewish people, and, and they simply decide not to fight back. And they devise some sort of another plan to remain alive and to keep themselves unconnected. I would suggest that in additional readings and additional learnings and additional study beyond what we do together in the Perak, to understand a greater depth with respect to the story of the Gibbonim is to read the Rambam in Hilchas Melachim Perak Vav. The Rambam there in the Laws of Kings in the sixth Perak deals with and discusses this story and discusses the manner in which the Jewish people went into the land of Israel, offerings of peace and questions of treaties with other nations. Ayin Shavaduk, you can look there and see it. But here we go. They too create some form of ruse and trickery. You can read it as Gam Hema Be'arma. They did something also as opposed to what the other nations did. You can read it as they did some sort of a trick also uh, in response or sort of in a sense as a parallel to what the Jewish people had done with the other nations, with I and with Yericho. Well, you can take it with a fascinating twist as Rashi does. Rashi says as follows. What is V'asu Gamhima Ba'arma? They too do with trickery. Just like the sons of Yaakov acted with trickery with Chamor, the father of Shechem, all the way back in Sefer Bereshis, Shehaya Chivi, who he himself was of the tribe of the Chivi, and those of the of the tribe of Givon, those of the people of Givon, were also Chivi. It says later on, so basically it seems that it's like a full circle type of thing. You used trickery against us all those years ago, now we also are going to use trickery against you much more of a cosmic approach in a more practical sense it seems to me that simply they acted um, in a manner similar to the way it appears the Jewish people might have in relation to I in setting up the ruse and setting up the ambush um, at I they acted themselves as if they were shlichim as if they were as if they were agents of the kingdom and they dress the part. They dress as if they've come a long distance and their sacks of water are falling apart. And their bread is going to look horrible. And their animals are going to be in bad shape. And their clothing looks horrendous. As if they traveled great, massive distances to get to this place, to get to here, so that they can speak to the Yeshua and to the Jewish people and create some sort of a bond, some sort of a covenant, some sort of a connection. Verse Five, right? Their their shoes are ripped, and their clothing is torn. And their bread is dried up, and it seems that it has some sort of spots on it. 
and they arrive at the camp of the Jews to where? Oh, back at Gilgal. Vayelchu el Yehoshua el hamachana ha-Gilgal vayomru ilav el ish Yisrael ve'eretz v'chokabanu ve'atakir sulana bris they come to Yehoshua, they go straight to the top. Right to Yehoshua, this group of, this band of, uh, of people from Givon, they go right to Yehoshua, they speak to him and to the, and to Ish Yisrael, not clear who that is specifically, or if it's just simply speak to the Jewish people. And they say, we've come from a very distant land, very distant land, we've come a long way, we've come so far, make for us, do for us a covenant, make for us a bris. But it's red. The man of the Jewish people says to these people, the Chivi, as we mentioned, the Rashi calls them the Chivi, like Chamor of Yishchem. They say to them, Perhaps you're uh, you're from Eretz Yisrael. Perhaps you live in the land of Canaan. How can we make a treaty with you in the land, if you live in the land of Canaan? Perhaps you want to design Zion Amim, uh, one of the seven nations. If you're one of those nations, we can't make a deal with you. We don't know who you are. Don't make, the Torah tells us, don't, take, don't make any sort of covenants, any agreements with them. We don't know who you are. Perhaps, that when it says, that in each location where these Givonim went, each Ish Yisrael said the same thing. How are we going to make a deal with you? We know the halachos, we know the rules. We don't know who you are. So instead of speaking to those people, Pasuk Ches in verse Ches, in verse 8, Vayomer Yoshua avodecha anachnu, Vayomer aleihem Yoshua, mi atem mayayin tavo, Yoshua says to them again, who are you? Where are you coming from? What's the story? What, what do you mean you're my servants? You're my slaves? We don't know you from nothing. It's a similar question to what the other Jewish people might have asked, but it is slightly different. This is Yoshua. Before they tried to speak to Yoshua, Yoshua didn't respond. Ish Yisrael responded. Now they speak to Yoshua directly. He says to them, who are you? What, what do you want from me? What do I need from you? Nothing. What do I need a treaty for? Here comes the kicker. We wanted to understand a little bit as to why the Jewish people would ultimately make a deal with the Givonim. And why they're so quick to make a deal with the Givonim. Why make a deal with anybody? You just defeated Yericho, you just defeated I. you're going to win all the other battles as long as we stay true to the Torah and the Mitzvahs. So what are we making deals? Why are we, why are we signing agreements with anybody? We're going to win. If we're going to win, so why, why make a deal? Why do we need partners? We have a Kodesh Baruch we have God, we don't need anyone else. So watch what verse, verse 9 says. They're smart, they give them understand. It's an amazing thing. They understand the power of what happened at I. The power what happened at Yericho was the hand of God. The other nations are willing to allow themselves to be duped to believing that they can defeat them if they gather in multitudes. If they gather enough troops and enough people as together in one large army, they'll be able to outnumber the Jewish people and defeat them. That was part of the great trick of I, that by virtue of all of Amha Milchama, the entire warring nation of the Jews coming to I, so they're it allows for somebody to discombobulate themselves, to to allow themselves to believe that something happened that in fact didn't happen. To allow themselves to believe that in fact it's because they outnumbered I. And that's why they were victorious and not that it was Yad Hashem. They give one see right through it. Right through it. Yericho, 
was one version of it. I is a different version of the same thing. It may have looked different on the ground, but Lamasa, it was all the Hashem, it was all God, and we cannot stand up to that. The Jewish people coming into the land are coming into the land for exactly that purpose, to establish in the land a home for the God of Israel and to live by His law. What better than for them to hear from an outside party that they in fact want to participate in that? Think on a smaller scale of Rachav with the Miraglim in chapter 2, how, how incredible that must have felt to hear from her about Melech Malchai HaMelachim, right? The king of all kings, the God of the Jews, the king of all kings. So here now, another state and some location, wherever they may be, right, the way they explain it, wants to join, is going to want to join in with that. Why wouldn't they accept it? It seems the great fulfillment of what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wanted, of what God seems to want of the Jewish people, what in fact their task is, what in fact their purpose is. Thus tells you, Verse 9. We have come from a great distance. Notice they don't mention where they come from. It's not crucial to their statement. What's crucial to the statement is what follows. We've come from a great distance to be servants, l'shem Adunai Elohecha, to your God. Because we've heard about all of the great wonders and all of the great miracles and all the great things that he did for you in Egypt all those years ago. We heard about Og. We heard about Sichon. We heard what you did there. They're very careful again. Pay attention to what they do say and what they don't say. They mention Mitzrayim. They mention Sichon and Og. Nothing about the Yardin, nothing about I, nothing about Yericho. Because that would sort of give them away. It's so recent an event that how they know about it, they're traveling along the road. But with virtue of mentioning things that happened in, well into the past, so it could be that immediately after the defeat of Og and Sichon, oh, this group said, okay, these guys are powerful, we want to align with them. That's feasible. But to mention the more recent past makes it a little less less possible. We had all heard about these things, and our elders, and all of the people of our land, wherever it may be out in the distant lands, said to us, Take for yourselves food on the road. Prepare yourselves. Go to those people. Go to the Jewish people. Speak to them. And say to them, we are your servants. Make for us a treaty. It's almost perfect for the Jew. We have a Jewish person who's crossed the Yardin, who's seen Yericho, who's seen I, who lived in Arvos Moab, who, who saw the destructions in Amori, saw the destruction of Sichon, the destruction of Og. They have certain people who've been around since Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. All they talk and all they want and all they desire is that the God of the Jews, their God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is recognized in the world as the power, as the strength, as the God of gods. 
And here we have a nation coming from a great distance that's in fact acknowledging that. And they're asking for a treaty. And they're asking for some sort of a connection, a bond. And they're diminishing themselves to saying that they are the servants of the Jews. And they go on, Look, look at our bread. This is our bread that we took with us. And now it's dried up. Has spots. It's moldy. It's disgusting. See how far we've come. And you gimel. In 13. These are, the, these are the jugs of wine that we carried with us. And look at them. They're broken. Falling apart. Look at our clothing, our shoes. They're tattered. And wreck from the great distance and the great travelings that we took to get here, to be with you. Who are these Anashim? These are the Jews. Rashi says, They accepted what they had to say. They took from their food, literally. They took it. They, 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 they took it in. They believed it. They didn't ask God. They didn't ask the Urim Batumim. They didn't speak to God. Who did not appear to Yeshua in this moment, it seems, did not tell him not to do this. Why that is, is an open question. Why didn't they ask God? Perhaps to give them the benefit of the doubt that they felt that this was the fulfillment of what a Kaddish Baruch Hu desired of them as a nation. They took this upon themselves as a decision of a people. This is what they want. This is what's supposed to be. Therefore, they didn't feel like there was any need to ask a Kaddish Baruch Hu. This is what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants of us. We'll allow that to sit as a possible speculation. Three things happen in this verse. Pasuk Tesvav, verse 15. Yeshua does for them a peace. Peace. He makes peace with them. Then he makes a covenant with them. Not necessarily with the name of God in this way, to allow them to live. And the leaders of the pack swear to them. So you have an agreement. It seems to be in place. They're going to be allowed to live. Jews are not going to destroy them. They have some sort of a covenant. They're connected. They're tied together. Since they're at a great distance, there's no fear that there's going to be any concern about a war with them. They have an agreement in place. Yoshua does it. Now, of course, it is reality that they're going to be found out. I mean, there's no way that a group of, of people can show up from nowhere amongst the Jews for a period of time and not be found out that uh, they're, in fact, uh, not really from a great distance. right? And they had to know this going in. Interestingly, they don't. Uh, the Jewish people maybe are so overwhelmed in the euphoric sense that the mission of God is being fulfilled. They don't look into them either. And so it is three days after they have made this covenant, this treaty with them, 
And they find out that in fact they're not from a great distance, but rather they're locals. They're nearby. They're immediate neighbors. Crushing, devastating. How could they lie to us? How could they trick us? How could they do this to us? Why would they do such a thing to us? It's an abomination. It's unspeakable that they would do something like this to us. Three days distance, and the Jews arrive at the place of the Givonim. Modern day areas outside, per se, of Ramallah. The cities of Givon and Kfira and Be'eros were Kiryas Ya'arim. But, Velohi Kumbene Yisrael in Yudchas. The Jews don't hit them. They don't fight with them. They don't kill them. The Jews don't destroy Givon and its surroundings. They don't do anything to them because they swore to them in the name of God. The Jews are upset. The nation is upset. Right? Vayilonu is a language we saw often in the Torah. The Jews are complaining about something or other. And here they're complaining to the Nisiyam, to these princes, to these leaders, for having sworn in the name of God. So here we learn another thing. Again, the manner in which the Jewish people will behave here with respect to these Givonim, in keeping to the treaty, in holding fast to their agreement even though it was through trickery and a ruse and deception, goes to something we discussed in the previous chapter with respect to the manner in which they handled the body of the king of Ai. Here, where in normal contractual situations, if somebody behaves in the manner of the Gibbonim, it's what's called in halacha mekach ta'us. It's simply a, a, a false and a fake business transaction and simply not binding and in secular law same thing there's no meeting of the minds it was under fraudulent circumstances nothing would be binding nonetheless the Jews hold to it the Jewish people stick to it because of the greater concern of Chil Hashem the reality of these types of situations is that the headlines in the local paper would read give Onim and Jewish people reach an accord Somewhere in the course of the article, it would describe and discuss that there was some sort of a uh, misunderstanding as to how it came about and fraudulent, yada, 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 so on and so forth. And then if they were, they were destroyed, then it would simply read later the next day, oh, the Jewish people go back on their word, they're not fast to their word, they don't hold to, uh, to, to what they agreed to. These are the people of God, this is who the God's chosen people are and all the rest of it, that it was a ruse and that it was fraudulent, would be lost. Verse 19. The Nesim say to the entire nation, We can't do anything. Our hands are tied. They came to us. They made this offer. They spoke words that we wanted to hear. We were excited about it. We were invigorated by hearing another nation being interested in the word of God and we took it 
and we signed the deal, and we swore to them, they wouldn't destroy them. This is what we're going to let them live. We're not going to destroy them. We're not going to kill them. We're not going to hurt them. We're going to let them live. And there won't be any anger with respect to the, 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 the agreement that we have sworn with them. You can take the Ketzef possibly one of two ways. Perhaps Ketzef Mitzat Hashem. We hope the Kaddish Baruch won't be angry. Mitzat Hasheni. You can take it simply from the other nations. That the other nations will not have anything to complain about with respect to us as it relates to this. Oh, we signed an agreement. They may not be happy about it. But with respect to any sort of a sense of uh, Indian giving, going back on our word and not keeping to what we've agreed to, hey, no Ketzef. And we ourselves, we don't have to think about it. That we did it, it's over, we'll let them live, finished. The Nasiim are the ones now doling out some form of a punishment to the Givonim. They say to them that you will be wood choppers and water gatherers for the entirety of the nation. That's your punishment. We're going to let you live. We're not going to go back on the agreement. We're not going to renege on what we agreed to, even though it was fraudulent. But you are now punished to the following two professions and occupations for all time. Yoshua speaks to them and he says further, Yoshua asks them the straight out question. Before he meets out any sort of a punishment, he asks them, well, what are you doing? Why did you do this to us? What was the point of it? If you read it based on the Rambam, the Rambam Hilchot Melachim, it's basically saying to them, you could have done this without making a trick, and making a ruse, and subjecting yourself to the following punishments. You could have just made an agreement. You could have agreed to what we discussed earlier when I, we came in, and we offered peace. What did you do this for? You're going to be, you're evil. You're terrible. You're abominable. You're cursed. And you'll always be chotve eitzim. You'll always be wood choppers and water gatherers at the house of Hashem. Now, why dafka the house of Hashem? It appears a certain, according to certain commentaries that they would be required to be around the holiest of the Jewish people for all time to be impacted and to feel the spiritual bond of the house of God, albeit as slaves, and servants to that place and to those people, never fully attaining a status amongst the Jewish people. And they never, in fact, do. And the generations go by, David HaMelech um, reestablishes the similar punishment to them. Ezra, later on, even further, again, um, reaffirms that which is established here by Yehoshua with respect to the Givonim. But they respond, because it was told to us, your servants, that God commanded Moshe, that the command was from God to Moshe, now to you, to take the entirety of the land and to destroy all of the people that are on the land. We feared for our lives. Simple concern of self-defense, self-preservation, preserving one's own life, 
we, we didn't want to die. We would rather be in this situation. We would rather be found out. We would rather be servants to you for all time. The people of Givon would rather that status than to be destroyed and to have our city destroyed. Ve'atah, in 25, Whatever you want to do to us, do to us. That's fine. As long as we get to live, we would choose life over anything else. The Jewish people who were so upset and so angered, who complained to the to the to the leadership, how could we do this? Why did we do this? How silly are we? Wow, they were so angry, so upset to be tricked and to be embarrassed in such a manner, and to have the name of God used in a trick against them. Man, they wanted to kill them. No one does this to the Jewish people. No one does this to the God of the Jews. And Yeshua stems the tide, he calms the fears with the punishment. And Yeshua establishes them, seals it, confirms it for all time's sake, that they're going to be these two occupations, really low-level occupations, water drawers, water carriers, and wood choppers for all time for the nation for the for the the congregation to the house of god to the mizbeach of god for all time as mentioned earlier it's reaffirmed by david amalek it's reaffirmed again by ezra they never affect or acquire the full-fledged status of the community of the jewish people and they're always they're always on the outside what we'll see going into the next parak is that by virtue of the treaty by virtue of the ruse, right? Something that looked to be so bad turns out to be so good in a certain sense. By virtue of the fact that the Givoni make this deal with the Jewish people, it raises the ire of the other nations. The other nations will begin to attack. And thus, Yahushua goes into battle with many more nations at the same time. And he essentially accomplishes more in a quicker fashion than he might have otherwise. Continue tomorrow with Parakyot.